All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 153. It is Tuesday night. This is when we talk to you. So if you'd like to join the conversation, as always, you can just hit request on the Twitter app and we'll let you up. Going to go ahead and fire off that tweet right now. Should be joined a little bit by my regular co-host, Sirius. I can see John's here. He wants to be up. We'll let you up in a second. So obviously we're in a really crazy run up to a season. I can't remember a season where all the craziness of conference realignment and subterfuge all happened at the beginning of August. Usually we have a few months to digest it. And by August, we're getting ready for the season, getting hyped for it. We still are, but we've got everything else simultaneously occurring. So I'm going to go ahead and let you up, John, in a second. Let's go ahead and let you up right now. But yeah, so, you know, I just also want to mention, uh, we had a good AMA, Ask Me Anything, on Reddit, typed out, which was with Ralph Russo, the AP's lead college football writer, who oversees the top 25 poll. We've had him on a Twitter space before as a guest. He doesn't vote in the poll. He just helps select it. Uh, who's a voter? I guess it's a panel that selects that, and he just kind of wrangles the votes. But it was interesting to hear him. Uh, I recommend looking that up, that AMA we Tweeted it a few times. It was pretty good. Uh, You learned a little bit about also how they handle misvotes. And apparently that happened even this time. Somebody, again, apparently it's a common one. They'll accidentally vote for Kansas when they mean Kansas State or vice versa. So that one was was fixed pretty quick. I also just want to mention a couple of other upcoming AMAs. We're going to have tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern, we're going to have, this is a first for us. We actually never had a region. We've had presidents of universities. We've had conference commissioners. We've never had a regent, a sitting regent. So University of Michigan regent Jordan Acker is going to be joining us on RCFB for a written AMA at 11 a.m. Eastern. We have that open. You can ask your questions now, and he'll get to them when he comes and arrives to start answering tomorrow, but you can post them now if you have a question. And then on Friday, We are going to have Andy Staples. We haven't posted that yet, but I just set that up. Andy Staples is going to be coming to do a regular typed AMA. He's done done a Twitter space interview before, but I thought it would be fun to mix it up. So he's going to be on doing a typed AMA at about 1 p.m. Eastern. And again, we'll get that open on Thursday if you have questions for Andy. But I could see my regular co-host is here, too. Hey, John, what's going on? Hey, man, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. Oh, it's good to hear. Well, first things first, I haven't even really said a question. Um, I just turned on my TV randomly about you know twenty five minutes ago and saw that ESPN was doing a fantasy football draft in on middle of August. I just want to say out to the world who's listening to this. Um, if you do a fantasy football draft for Labor Day, you deserve every bad thing that happens to your team for the rest of the season. Just want to make that real clear before I get to anything else. Um, so main question, I know you know another week, another realignment rumor. Um, I guess you you. As well as everyone else probably saw the AAs, uh, the American rumors to the Pac-12. Um, I guess my question is how how legitimate are those rumors, and how feasible is that, and what do you, what do you think happens if that move even occurs? That's a great question. You know, um, I'm going to just really quickly give an answer to that, and then welcome on Sirius, who's currently just sitting, <laughs> who finally made it up to the stage. But you know, the the final four, whatever you want to call the the the, the remnants, um, the Pac-4. You know, what's going to happen to them? What are we going to have? Are we going to have the continuing adventure of the Pac-4 and friends? Are they going to end up in another conference? Or are they going to sort of merge where the Pac-12 name survives on with a different one? That that usually comes up in discussions of if they're going to join, say, the Mountain West. The American 
is in a different position. Although, again, neither none of these are particularly great options for Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford because they're going to take a pay cut no matter what. They're going to lose at least they're going to lose some of their budget from this. But of the two right now, the American has the better payout. So if there really are, if depending on how much about money, but I mean it's still not a lot. We're talking somewhere in the realm of like below five million for the Mountain West and below eight million for the American. Now, just for perspective, one of the uh, stories that came out this past week from John Canzano, who's an avid Pac-12 writer based in Oregon, he said that the Pac-12 apparently had an offer from ESPN for $30 million per school last fall. And they apparently, and you know, I guess the network wasn't going to share it with anybody else. And the schools rejected it because they wanted $50 million per school. So now here we are. And apparently, I'm not going to say like, it wasn't just like one, it wasn't like Oregon, like the, and Washington saying this, like all the schools were pretty, it sounds like they're pretty unified and thinking they could get more than $30 million. Well, as it turns out, they couldn't, but the, as it, you know, as it turns out now, it looks like we're, we're talking numbers below 10. So it's not a great option. I don't know if um, it's – but, of course, to be fair, and I, I really don't like having to say this about any school, but for Oregon State and Washington State and Cal and Stanford, it's, it's a beggars can't be choosers situation. I don't know. They're going to have to see what's best for them. And I know this is going to be really tough. There is no good answer for those schools unless somehow they get let into the ACC – or, you know, the Big Ten decides to change it. You know, maybe the, the Big Ten gets vo- <laughs> visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future or something. But it, it gets pretty it gets pretty dire pretty fast. You know, before I move on, Sirius, how are you doing this evening? Good. Excited to see what everybody wants to talk about, what's on the, the front of their minds. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there with those comparisons. Um, you know, with, with the fact that the Pac-12 – had a chance to get the Big 12 deal, which just lured away four of their members, you know, one year later. Um, that was, you know, how I read read those rumors about uh, the ESPN offer was basically Pac-12 said no, so they went to the Big 12, the Big 12 said yes. And uh turned out to be quite the coup for them. You know, one is expanding and adding some very solid athletic brands, and the other one is down to four members. So talk about a, uh, a tale of two cities there. You know, I want to just go ahead and mention one of the comments that I just saw appeared as a reply to this. Uh, and you can do that. We, we try to see them. Uh, Morgan Faust, he said, you know, they can, they, the American CAS renegotiation clause. Although I'm not sure if those four schools combined could bring that up too much. I mean, I'm sure it would it potentially be a little bit more, but I'm not sure it would. But still, I mean, heck, at this point, any any options got to be on the table for those four. You know, I want to let up some uh, Thack. He's one of, I've, so I've seen him waiting. And again, if you'd like to join the conversation about anything in college football, hit request and we'll try to get as many of you as we can within the time. What's going on, Thack? How are you? Um, I, I'm doing actually uh, absolutely wonderful. The season is uh, inching closer and closer. I can almost taste it. I don't know about you, uh, Bobak and Sirius, but uh, I'm super excited for this one. Uh, got some big news coming out of uh Missouri, my uh, my favorite team, signing uh, I believe consensus is top three. Uh, on three has him at the number one recruit in the twenty twenty four class. A day later, uh, the uh, Missouri Governor Mike Parsons comes down to Columbia uh, to sign 
the NIL legislation. And uh, it looks like it will be enacted uh, August 28th. And uh, for those of you guys uh, who are a little unfamiliar, um, uh, Missouri had introduced legislation that uh, would allow it for uh, in-state recruits that sign, I believe, a academic uh, sponsorship agreement, uh, something along the lines um, before the National Letter of uh, Intent, but it also includes the National Letter of Intent. Uh, they can start earning NAL dollars if they sign with a Missouri school. Uh, so big, big news. Uh, super excited for this kid. And obviously, uh, Drinkwitz, uh, after uh, the commitment, posted a video of him jumping around. Uh, and uh, people were clowning on him for it. And uh, obviously so. I think um, people forget that. Uh, and, and he went on, uh, Drink went on SEC Network to talk about this. Uh, he, he went nuts over a three-star recruit in 2020. This was would have been a year after he got hired. And people were clowning on him because he was wearing a yellow sweater and he looked ridiculous. And people were, oh, he's, you know, freaking out over this three-star recruit. Uh, turns out that three-star recruit was uh, Ennis Rakestraw, the Missouri cornerback, who uh, who is an all-SEC cornerback. He is most definitely going to be playing on Sundays and has a uh, 4.0 GPA, which is almost unheard of. Uh, so uh, definitely exciting about this one and uh, interesting to see how this NIL legislation in Missouri pans out. Uh, I'm wondering if other states will start to follow, uh, especially with the success of signing Williams Norweeny defensive end uh, consensus, I believe top three recruit in the 2024 class. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the NIL law that uh, or amendment that Missouri has made for, for their NIL law. Um, allowing recruits, if they're staying in-state and going to public school, to cash in while they're still in high school as long as they've signed that letter of intent. Um, One of the things that we talk about in the SEC a lot is the fact that it is such a brutal recruiting landscape in the Southeast in general when you throw in schools like FSU and Miami and uh, Clemson in there as well, is that you really can't afford to let any of your homegrown talent get away from you, especially if you're a school in a state um, like a Missouri or Tennessee or something like that, that normally doesn't produce a ton of blue chip talent to begin with um, compared to say a Georgia or um, Alabama, Louisiana, Florida, kind of your big powerhouse states. And this seems like a really interesting way for their legislature to try to keep some of that homegrown talent inside Missouri, because like you mentioned, this five-star top defensive lineman, in the country for the 2024 class and, you know, top three consensus. Um, He is a Missouri native, so he'd be able to take advantage of that as soon as he signs that um, letter of intent. So, you know, an interesting way to try to give uh, the hometown schools a little bit of a leg up compared to uh, some of these other out-of-state schools that might be going after your blue chips, Um, especially, I mean, you know, drink kept him at home when, You've got uh, Venables on the on the phone trying to get him to uh, Oklahoma. So um, always a big win whenever you can keep that talent there and you don't have to worry about somebody coming in and poaching well, it. Well, yeah, and especially since uh, – well, St. Louis has been a decent uh, – uh, especially St. Louis has been a decent uh, hotbed for, for some of some low-key talent. Obviously, uh, last year uh, you had Luther Burden, um, five-star uh, wide receiver in that uh, – in that area. And, uh, traditionally those kids have gone to, uh, 
to other schools. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty neat, uh, watching them, uh, come back and, and the people crying about it. I, I don't care. It's, uh, if you want parody in college football, this is how you get it. Georgia doesn't need to amass another five star. Uh, Oklahoma doesn't necessarily need to amass another five star. And, uh, yeah, well, I, I, I I think it's I think it's great. I think it's a crafty and uh, shifty sort of way to do it. Uh, don't get me wrong, but uh, uh, I think that's 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 sort of what needs to happen to keep uh, keep the same four teams from winning it every year, man. You know, this kind of brings up. I just want to to really quickly touch on this topic, just the background, only because we talked about it a lot in the off season when most people weren't paying attention. Understandably, I mean, we just kept this kind of going over the off season, and I. I uh, guessed it a few times on an NAL podcast, but for Missouri, as as Thack mentioned, passed a law, and it was kind of an interesting timeline because Oklahoma had a law that they said, you know, you can't go. They were the first state to declare you can't go after our, you know, um, our schools if they violate NIL laws. The NCAA will be toothless in this state, and then it got delayed. It got delayed and delayed because of complete side stuff that uh, had nothing to do with the the bill. But then in the, all of this, Missouri announces their bill is not only going to do kind of that stuff, but it'll be the only uh, state in the country where you can give a committed high school athlete basically an NIL deal, as long as they're committed to a in-state school. In the state of Missouri, that means Mizzou. <laughs> and, you know, don't get me wrong, we respect Missouri State, Truman State, Northwest Missouri State. There's some, there's some schools out there as well. But for the most part, we're talking Mizzou, especially SEC caliber of talent. And we can see that paying off here. Meanwhile, we've seen, you know, Texas, New York. The, the funny thing about all of these NIL laws is I have to emphasize they're very bipartisan. So they just sail through each state legislature. Because think about it. If you're a state legislature, even if you don't really care about college sports, a lot of your constituents do, no matter who they're voting for. So they'll be like, hey, yeah, my, my legislator, you know, voted for my team. Awesome. So I only mentioning that because it's, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but there is a larger issue that I think I know when we last week when we talked with Stuart Mandel on this show, one of the things that that I think is inevitable and he agrees and a lot of other people agree on this is the next step is will we see these top level athletes officially declared employees? The only reason is if they're declared because at, at this point we're giving them so many loosened rules on NAL that it it isn't hard to imagine a judge being convinced in a court of law if when they get challenged and they will get challenged that this person is going to be um, that we're going to declare all athletes, you know, uh, employees, which won't be a problem for, you know, the Ohio States, Texas, all of those folks. But in a level that might go all the way down to Division three, you're going to see a lot of chaos. So that's where you tend to also start to see this push. And we can talk about it if people want to. That's being mentioned in a lot of quarters that it is time to perhaps separate division uh the the top football teams away from all the other sports and kind of enter something i mean Stuart mandel called it his premier league but i know you had something you wanted to add to all of this serious yeah you know back when um states really started push this with nil laws and uh take matters into their own hands it seemed like the ncaa NCAA was kind of hands off and they were looking at it more as, you know, we're going to wait for a national framework for this. Um, we're going to try to get Congress to take action. Of course, Congress has a lot more obstacles in the way in terms of trying to get anything done right now. Um, than you see in a lot of these state legislatures where bipartisan legisla legislation like this can, like you said, sail through pretty easily. But the downside is you do get so many differences 
and how each state is enacting their law. And, you know, Quinn Ewers was a great example of how something like this Missouri law comes into play where, um, you know, Texas athletes couldn't get into it early on. But if he went to Ohio State, he could, rides the bench, goes back to Texas once he's eligible to take NIL money there. And, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, kind of created this weird wrinkle um, as a result because, you know, that was just kind of the best option available for him to cash in on his NIL money early on. And, of course, now he can do it in Texas. Um, so having these these little wrinkles and these differences from state to state can have some really interesting and weird effects when it comes to the recruiting trail. So uh, definitely can see the, the value in, you know, Missouri saying, well, you know, if we've got a chance here to create a bit of a home field advantage for, you know, the institutions that we're already sending millions of dollars to each year through state funding, why don't we? And it'll be interesting if some of these other states follow up with that and uh, pursue a similar route, or if you have some states that already have opened the, opened the gates, um, kind of shift things around a little bit to uh, try to make it more competitive for their state schools. You know, Andrew, I wanted to hear your question, but I want to just add something because I saw John added a question um, to sort of the the associated chat with this in the bottom right. Uh, will making athletes employees affect Title IX rules? You know, that is the entire Title IX question right now is the biggest one of all because it seems like it is just barely, I mean, it isn't really being adhered to even now. So I think, yes, absolutely. If people become employees, will it affect it? Yes. How will it affect it? I'm not even going to pretend to know at this point. I think there's we're in such a weird, open question of where that could go on a lot of that. Serious, I see you wanted to add something there. Well, I mean, just look at you know what we've seen happen with the U.S. Women's National Team and, uh, and even like the, the, the Women's World Cup, um, the discrepancies there compared to the men's sports. And then throw into it the women's final four in March Madness compared to the men's March Madness and some of the behind the scenes look, looks that we've gotten, um, you know, I think it was actually earlier this year about the facilities and the stark differences between them and what the men receive, you know, I would not want to touch that with a 10 foot pole personally, because um, it just seems like it is ripe for litigation already without throwing the employee part on top of it. Um, Andrew, what's going on? Hey everybody! Thank you for uh, thank you, Bobak, for taking my call. Um, I think this is actually the first time I've called in not as a co-host, um, which is kind of weird. Anyway, uh, for those who don't know, I'm a big UCF fan, and I guess the rumblings that I'm hearing from the different news outlets and things like that, I, I just got to ask an outside opinion and. Is there a big four in the state of Florida, um, which would be Florida, FSU, Miami, UCF now, although some are even saying that UCF has surpassed Miami. So I guess, do you think it's still a big three of the big three traditional schools? Is it a big four now? Or perhaps have we uh, eliminated Miami from contention? I, right I, now, this year, I don't know if it's a big two. Um, unless Florida gets their act together and Miami's got a lot to turn around. Um, right now it looks like it's Florida States for the taking. Um, unless some of these other teams really 
you know, put on some speed. It'll be interesting to see how UCF adapts to being in a power five conference with the move to the big 12, um, because that's going to be a little bit different level of competition than they've seen. And uh, Miami's got some things to fix and, and Florida's kind of in the same boat of there's potential there, but you know, what's this year going to look like for them? Um, you know, you've had, you've got coaches in both Miami and Florida have been there long enough now to uh, take some ownership of the on-field results. So um, what are they going to show us this year? Is it going to be back to kind of like what everybody normally would expect from those programs, or at least historically would expect with Miami, or are they going to languish a little bit more? I I agree. And I think this year, certainly Florida state is the, cream of the crop in the state of Florida right now, at least by all preseason expectations. Maybe we'll find out more, especially when they square off against LSU, which is going to be an amazing game the way it's looking right now on a neutral field. But I, I'm, I don't know. Now you have me questioning myself here. Am I a traditionalist that I'm thinking like it's still Miami and uh, Florida? I know Florida is still in the SEC. They may be having an off year. I think this can be a big, a big year for to see if Billy Napier can turn that around. But um, I think with Miami, it's, I'm not sure. I think UCF has the opportunity to, to make some noise, but it wouldn't be immediate. I think we have to see UCF in the big 12 start to make, you know, some significant to show that they could still compete as well as they did in the American. If they can do that over a few years. And yeah, I think that's going to be absolutely one of the big questions out there is Miami kind of fallen behind UCF. And at this point, I think UCF is closer to Miami than it ever has been. I think it is literally right behind it. It's breathing down its neck. And if Miami continues to stumble and UCF continues to be fine and, and be a competitive, if not a conference uh, uh, <laughs> champion in um in uh in the big 12 then i think yeah i think then they will have it i think it's a i think it's feasible it's it's more it's more plausible now than it ever has been i'll say that much um but yeah i think that's that's definitely it (laughs) oh my goodness sorry somebody suggested something to me i'm not going to say that out loud no way but um (laughs) all right you know i want to go ahead and let someone else up too let's hear conference commandos let's see here what's going on sir What's up, man? Sorry, my mic like muted as you put me as a speaker. I assume you were talking to me. Yeah, I was. Don't worry. First of all, I mean, and for those of you listening out there, if you ever please, if you want to join the conversation, hit request. But if you do hit request, once we let you up, it's a really weird kind of sensation because you jump ahead in time because I guess everybody's on a slight delay. But if you're let onto the stage, you you lose that delay. So it's like you lose about five seconds worth of speaking or, or sometimes even more, depending on whatever you're listening from. So that's why sometimes callers come up and they're like, wait, what? Yeah, I, noticed that, <laughs> I thought I noticed that with the emoji reactions, like the speakers were reacting to things before I heard it. So I don't know. If yes, sense, exactly. But, exactly. Yeah. That's a great that's a great example of that. Cool. Anyway, yeah, I just had two thoughts on some of the things y'all said, and then I'll just let y'all talk. I didn't have much to say. Um, I got to go to bed early tonight. Um, but uh, yeah, the first thing was, um, I don't know which one of y'all was, or maybe it was multiple of you. Um, y'all are saying NIL was bringing more parity to the sport. Um, obviously that is very subjective. I disagree with that very strongly though. My counter argument rebuttal of that would be, um, 
it's kind of two prong. Number one, Alabama just signed the number one class in the recruiting service industry, and that is very strongly correlated to NIL. Um, so that alone, to me, kind of shuts down the argument. Also, I would say um, that the second the second prong of this argument would be literally every Group of Five player and lower to mid tier Power Five player. Um, that has any level of success is either jumping in the portal because they're getting offered an NIL bag or they're, you know, some are staying at home, but virtually all of them are getting offered an NIL bag from a higher tier program. So I, I just find it hard to believe. I think they're kind of edge cases, most of it in the SEC for sure, because I think the only real argument for NIL bringing parity to me is kind of within the SEC. I think programs like Missouri, who have landed a couple more five-star uh, recruits or, you know, Kentucky's kind of become like a transfer portal destination school for sure. So they're like lower tier SEC teams that are benefited, but I don't think as a holistic landscape perspective that um, college football has seen any increase in parity uh, as a result of NIL, at least not directly. Yeah. And I, I just want to say, I think that comment you're referring to is actually by Thack, who is a Mizzou fan. So uh... <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, and to be clear, I, I said it may bring, bring more parity. I, I mean, I agree definitely with you that it has its drawbacks. Uh, uh, you look at Toledo um, this year, who uh, who I believe uh, lost, uh, I mean, just a bunch of players. I think it's Toledo lost a bunch of players uh, to, to the transfer portal. Um, yeah, Kent State, look at them, they got raided. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I, I think it's your, 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 your spot on there. It's, it's going to bring more parity to maybe the power five, um, not, or it could, uh, bring more parity in my opinion to the power five, but, uh, yeah, definitely at the group of five level, it's, it's destroying the group of five. Um, but it, I mean, in the end, you've got still, you got less kids playing high school football. Um, in the end, I, I think that, uh, eventually uh, the uh, lower divisions will start to uh, to uh, sort of gather together anyway but it's it's definitely a, a head start on that process I'm sure which is which is not good I enjoy my action for sure I just had one other comment and then um, I'll let y'all respond or whatever I mean this is my space y'all do as you want but uh, I uh, one of y'all was asking about um, whether or not we're headed in the direction of just employing college football players, whether we're approaching um, uh, whether we're just going to make college football players full-time employees. And I, I don't think that's very feasible from what I've, the people I've talked to. And the reason I think that is, is because um, of I don't think college football, the, the NCAA especially could survive tax exempt status. Um, there's just, there's such like thin margins. Uh, I don't think boosters would donate if things become tax deductible, um, I, I don't, I don't think we're headed in that direction. I could totally be wrong, but that's kind of the sense I've got from people I've talking to. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. And I think that's why the, in my mind, the only way it would work properly, I mean, properly is the only way it would, no one would be happy with it. I want to be clear that. So there is no ideal way, but the way that might have the least amount of um, impact would be if a very, the, the basically yeah, I've seen numbers between 20 and 40 teams at the very top of FBS just depart and go into heavens. No, uh, they just kind of leave the NCAA. So you have those very top football teams become non-NCAA sports and they have their own association. Therefore, they wouldn't be governed by the NCAA. And then the NCAA and its remaining schools and teams can continue on the way they were, which may be more 
especially financially feasible for them. Because, yeah, I agree. If it, if it goes beyond the top programs, it is going to cause chaos to athletic departments across the land. Because a lot of these, I mean, we've talked about it in previous shows, but at some of these other levels, like uh, especially D3 and the, some D2 and NAIA schools, they add football because you always hear like, oh, little school is adding a football team. It's kind of sometimes a Hail Mary play when they're losing attendance because in the D3 school, you're not getting an athletic scholarship. I get a I get an academic scholarship, but you're also adding like 80 new people to your campus when you're you've got a campus of like 500 people. That's a huge influx of people who might be paying tuition because they're chasing that co- that joy of playing college football or even perhaps an unrealistic dream of playing professionally. So that's why for those schools suddenly having to pay those guys, ooh, that's the reverse. That's a Uno reversal card for them. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Seriously, you have thoughts on this? Well, yeah. I mean, even some of those D3 schools where they're trying to, um, you know, like attract more uh, male students by adding more sports, adding football, there's another way to get 80 guys on campus or 60 guys on campus. Um, that way plus walk on, well, I guess everybody's a walk on at that point, but, um, you know, more than just your, what would be a normal scholarship allotment, but like a full padded out roster. Cause Hey, you know, you can still come out and, and relive your high school glory days playing football. Um, or if you're just going to be a student, you know, it's something else to, to watch as an amenity. Cause I've definitely said with some of those, uh, D3 schools where, you know, it's like 60% women. 40% men and um, you know, why do they offer football? Well, that is one reason is um, it does try to attack, attract a larger talent pool or larger uh, applicant pool um, to the school, but it'll be interesting to see um, how that kind of a break happens, which schools decide that it's worth it and which ones don't. Um, and then the other aspect there is, you know, we always talk about how, you know, very few athletic departments make money, but at the same time, these aren't businesses. They have no incentive to turn a profit. You know, there, there's no shareholder or anything that's going to be happy that uh, Alabama has leftover funds at the end of the year in their athletic budget. Um, and you actually see a lot of kind of Hollywood type math when it comes to uh, the value that they generate and how it get, gets assigned. You know, as far as I know, most schools don't assign um, licensing income to the athletic department, even though, um, you know, nobody's buying a, a Georgia hat because they're really excited about their academics, um, or at least uh, 90% of people aren't doing it because they're really excited about, you know, an academic program at Georgia. They're doing it because they have good, good sports. They want to be affiliated with the team and with the university that um, gets shown on, you know, on TV every weekend. And that money usually just kind of goes to the school. It doesn't go into athletics at all. Um, and then beyond that, uh, if you look at some of the private school filings, um, you'll see that come up every now and then. That's kind of the only peak that you get into um, private school finances for athletics is through federally mandated reporting. And I think um, some of it is related to things like Title IX. And, you know, I've looked at Vanderbilt's before. It's amazing. I think we must have the best accountants in the country because we somehow managed to spend exactly the same amount of money that we bring in. And it is the most amazing budgeting that I've ever seen um, to where they can consistently do that. Uh, But again, there's no reason for them to show that they're turning a profit 
um, on athletics, even if they are. And with the amount of money they're getting from the SEC and the, the you know, that check's going to be getting bigger. Um, even with the, the planner innovations, you know, it's not all going, you know, just to, to fund those sports programs. And you can always tweak that based off of, you know, like what the university is charging the athletics department for scholarships and, you know, the educational side of things. Um, so it's always a little bit of funny math there. So it'd be interesting to see if there is a split, which athletic departments suddenly seem to be more profitable um, than they were, or which ones aren't as profitable as we might've expected them to be based off of how they've been reporting things in the past. That's a great point. <laughs> when the curtain rises, if they split off to become some kind of separate top program league, you know, Nolan Green, I, we just let you up. I'd love to have you join the conversation. What's on your mind? Hello, Mr. Reddit. How are you doing? Good. How I'm are doing you? Great. Uh, I'm a Illinois fan. I'm a Wake Forest fan, but I want—I really love G5 football. Um, so I was wondering what you guys thought on the American and like the stance of it right now. I am all in on the FAU Owls right now. Herman, Casey Thompson. So I'm curious what you guys think's going on down there. I love that question. I'm excited to see how FAU is going to do under Herman. They've got talent. They've got, you know, we saw if you're a good coach at FAU, that program can do wonders for your career, especially when you want to restart it. Obviously, Lane Kiffin being the, well, okay, wait. Well, we we, well, well, we won't talk about who they fired. But, um, you know, I think I'm excited because, I mean, first of all, Bill Pogge, he gave that great interview today at Charlotte. I don't know if you guys heard it, but he's like they were doing some sort of TV show for them. And he's like, I hope they're they should cover all 15 games we plan to play because that implies that Charlotte, the 49ers, you heard it first, are going to go all the way and play in Houston at the end of the year for the national title. But it's exciting. I mean, UTSA is, is between UTSA, FAU. Tulane, obviously, you know, I'm excited to see who's going to kind of climb up to the top. And I mean, I'm not meaning to, to diss some of those other programs. I would not be shocked if any number of the others, you know, decided to suddenly reach out. East Carolina is always fun because you can never tell what's going to happen with them. East Carolina, I was talking about this in last week. Where we're talking about programs that always are trying to kind of like SMU is that team now. They're absolutely trying to get invited into a larger conference and they will do and except they're they're like the daddy warbucks scrooge mcduck uh flint Hart, gongold i don't care who you want to call it, but they have so much money yeah they could pay by their way into anything if you would just let them but um last time you know 10 years ago it was memphis and ecu that were desperately trying to do anything in their power to, to get into a larger conference like the big 12 and and they did they upgraded themselves they ended up in the american but at the same time, I always those are two programs I have a I have a soft spot for only because they've tried, they've hustled so hard, and they're they're there. But you know, I want to go back to you, Nolan. What are your thoughts? Who who? Obviously, you're hot on FAU, but what? Who do you think is going to be the biggest challenger? So I think Tulane takes a step back a little bit. I love SMU. Uh, I love what Rhett Lashley's been doing. Preston Stone, obviously, like this five star guy that they flipped away from Oklahoma, I believe. Um, gave Tanner Mordecai a shot for like the job last year, and Mordecai's a guy I'm holding the Heisman ticket on. So I'm really looking at like an SMU FAU uh, championship because I think I think Tulane steps back, and then with Houston and UCF leaving, there's a little bit of like a a power vacuum at the top of the American. Absolutely, and for those who may not have who may have forgotten, by the way, I just want to mention Tanner Mordecai is now at Wisconsin, so uh, it's gonna be fun to see him as a Badger. 
but I, uh, sorry, serious. Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just excited to kind of see what's going to happen with um, this influx of new coaching talent, you know, uh, tons of teams in the, the American that have new coaches uh, for the first uh, time this year. You've got some real personalities, you know, you mentioned uh, Biff. And uh, of course, you've got Trent Dilfer at UAB. Um, Alex Golish is new to the conference. You know, lots of, uh, of entertaining personalities there and new head coaches. And then, of course, you know, Jeff Trailer at UTSA, friend of the program, um, kind of they had a little bit of a step back last year. Um, Willie Fritz, also friend of the program, um, had a fantastic season with Tulane, but also was kind of battling some rumors about potentially going elsewhere, decided to stick it out at Tulane, um, had a big, big bowl game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back from that. You know, if they can keep it going, if UTSA can, uh, can come back into it um, and get back up to where they were the previous season. You know, just a lot of really fun storylines. It seems like with the American this com- the the American this year. So, do you guys absolutely? Oh, go do ahead. Do you guys think UAB is going to be any good? Like, is Dil is Dilfer just an awful hire potentially? I think it's a little early to know, but man, was that outside of the box? I think that was the biggest surprise because remember. UAB took forever. We knew that they they you know they had a their coach you know retired uh, or just stepped back. You know Bill Clark resurrected that program. He's an amazing guy to, to meet in person. I met him at um, a conference media day uh, several years ago before the pandemic. But yeah, no, I mean he steps back, so they know that they were like the first team with a coaching vacancy, and it took forever. And it seemed like things just. We would kind of talk about it actually on this weekly Tuesday night show where like something must be going wrong because they this keeps dragging out. It was starting, you know, I guess the analogy now I could say is like this is starting to feel like a Pac-12 media deal. Are they actually going to have something by the end of this? And then like suddenly you, oh, we're hiring Dilfer and, you know, from a high school position. And obviously he's he knows his way around a football field. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to diss that part, but. This could either really work or be a spectacular failure, but either way, it should be entertaining. I think we're going to, especially this first season. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking me, to bet it, against them a ton. <laughs> For me, it's firmly in the, you know, if if it's stupid and it works kind of category um, because it's a gamble, but I don't know. It seems like he had some pretty good interactions with media days and things like that. Um, we'll see. Uh, it's unorthodox that's for sure but i mean you know it's kind of like a a less chaotic dion in a way you know there were some comparisons there about um going straight from a high school experience to college ranks you know with no in between especially with you know the pro back pro background um dilfer's a little bit more uh uh reserved (laughs) um than Dion is, that's for sure. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he can do there. Um, definitely, you know, he's got some cachet with his name uh, and his experience working with elite QBs over the years. But it always was interesting to see, you know, Trendil for the guy who is probably most famous for being the shining example of you can win a Super Bowl without a great NFL quarterback um, is now, you know, a QB whisperer and and uh, now a head coach in the college ring. So we'll see. It should be interesting. You know, and it should be, and I'm sure again, I know you mentioned you, you touched on this in the, in the initial question, but with FAU, I mean, Casey Thompson is there going to be their quarterback. It seems like, and he's been around 
a long time. I mean, when I love when I see a quarterback who, you know, has been because when he started at Texas, I believe he was recruited by Tom Herman there. So now he's going to be playing for Tom Herman at FAU. So that's that's going to be one of those fun stories. If you haven't heard about it already, you're going to probably hear about that uh, during the season with a with a quick stop at Nebraska in between. John, I see you wanted to add something. Yeah, I just actually had a question because you were <clears throat> sorry. We're talking about coaching. Um, is there a coach you guys are most excited to see this year? Or just most interesting. I'm just, just you know, spitballing this. You know, what what coach gets you guys, you know, the most interested for this year? I'll uh, I'll say I want to see what Shane Beamer has cooked up this year because, wow, he uh, he has a lot to uh, follow up with because he had a phenomenal in, phenomenal end of last season, and that is a big ask. You know, we interviewed him um, in the off season last year, and at the time. <laughs> We were asking him, you know, how do you deal with expectations going from one season to the next? Uh, because at the time, you know, he was coming off of a seven and six inaugural season as a as a head coach, and then he followed it up going eight and five with the big wins over Tennessee and Clemson, and uh, finishing the season ranked. So, you know, that's that's a hard thing to manage uh, those expectations when you have a fan base that's passionate, they're excited. Um, you know, you kind of set the bar pretty high for your follow up to it and uh, trying to ma- maintain momentum um, going into, you know, his third season now at South Carolina. You know, I want to see what this team's going to look like and uh, what he has in store for everybody. I'll really quickly run through several people that I'm interested in because Matt Rule at Nebraska, I want to see how he's going to do. I'll be in the press box for that game at Minnesota to open the season. I'm really looking forward to see that. Um, I don't cover as many games in person as some of the the rest of the team, but when I saw that one fits perfectly into my schedule, I definitely made my way and got credentialed for that one. So I'm looking forward to see how Rule does to see if he's going to be what Nebraska hoped he would be because this wouldn't be the first time. (laughs) Scott Frost, I remember how that began. So, uh, but, you know, also I'm looking forward to seeing Luke Fickle at Wisconsin, but that's a common answer. Troy Taylor, I just want to see if he can get Stanford moving again because it it ossified under David Shaw. It was so good for so long, and then it just, the wind went out of those sails, and it feels like that ship just kind of, kind of stalled or, you know, it just kind of sat there. And, you know, on a lighter side, you know, not lighter side, but I should say uh, one other program that isn't talked about as much, Liberty. I kind of want to see how Jamie Chadwell does going there to see if that, if he can do what he was able to do at Coastal Carolina at Liberty, because obviously now Hugh Freeze, he's at Auburn. That's another, I think, uh, 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 probably more fashionable pick along with Deion Sanders. But those those four are some of the guys I think are less talked about that I'd be more interested to see, although Luke Fickle is pretty common. Nolan, I know you wanted to add something to that. Yeah, I guess it's a little chalky, but how about Marcus Freeman in this too, right? Like his first or his second full year gets Sam Hartman. Like I said, I'm a wake guy, so Sam Hartman I'm a little partial to, but I think he's like a top 10 quarterback in the nation. And yeah, can Notre Dame with this absurd schedule like get over the hump? Really? I think that's a great one. I, I, I absolutely because that's the he that it. There's so much hype behind that, at least in those who follow Notre Dame, that I'm very curious to see. Because, I mean, if, if they start winning, I think because it's Notre Dame, he's suddenly going to be – Sam Hartman's going to be in that same Heisman conversation the same way last year. We saw another transfer quarterback, you know, rise up and, and take it all. So maybe that'll be it. And I think, yeah, this is, this is going to be a big question to see if he is 
what they need at Notre Dame and, and to see exactly how they do through that schedule. I think that's a great, that's a great question. That'll be a fun one to watch, you know, in combination with what Tommy Reese does or doesn't do at Alabama. Cause that was kind of a little bit of a head scratching move for a lot of people uh, taking the offensive coordinator position position there and whether he can kind of help the tide get back to where they had been now that they've, uh, you know, kind of fallen off the past couple of years um, based off of their normal expectations as Georgia's elevated in the SEC. You know, as we kind of go about 45 minutes, we may slowly start wrapping this. Oh, I see. You know what? But I just saw Coach Clark, so I want to let you up. It's always great to hear from you, Coach Clark. You know, there's a couple of other minor topics also is going to touch on, but I would love to hear from you. What's going on, Coach Clark? No, I'm not a financial expert or a, uh, you know, I kind of still don't understand the NIL stuff. But I will tell you this, with all the big problem with college college football conference realignments that we have is that it takes a very a power-ranked competitive conference. If you look at history going back to the 90s, takes really tough competitive conference and it eliminates it, you know. And sometimes the good teams go elsewhere. Like you go back to 1995 Southwest Conference, you know, half those teams were or used to be part of the Big 12. And, you know, now, now some of them are kind of scattered. Like Rice was nationally ranked back in the 80s and 90s until that happened. And now they're, I think they're still in Conference USA, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, it's kind of the same thing. When Most people don't know that Miami won their last two national titles, 1991 and 2003. They were a Big East team. You know, in Boston College, when it was part of that conference, they got national considerations. West Virginia got national considerations. You know, that, you know, though being independent for most of their of – their, uh, their, their powerhouse days, you know, Syracuse was also part of that. People don't know that Donovan McNabb and Marvin Marvin Harris, or Marvin Harrison, I believe, played uh, played Big East football. So if they're gonna if they're gonna create new conferences, they need to try to find a, rate, a way to create a power rank conference to even up the odds. That's an interesting thought. You know, by just a minor clarification, yeah, no Rice is actually in the American, but uh, that that they are the team that absolutely got the worst deal out of the Southwest Conference collapsing because. They were kind of in the Stanford position. They were uh, this academic powerhouse, and then just while the others kind of scrambled and figure out their ways sort of back up or at least back to a certain level of respectability, SMU gets sort of a pass because, of course, they were nuked uh, not long before. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, yeah. Not before that conference collapsed. So they're just still kind of – they're still – now they finally feel like they've gotten past all of that. But um, Yeah. And, you know – Yeah, so – Oh, I'm sorry, Bob. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, but, you know, like, you know, in, in all the NIL stuff, I mean, from my perspective, it's, you know, we still got to do your checks and balances to make, you know, even at a school like where I coach. But, you know, it's taken a lot of the – it's gotten rid of the bagels and cream cheese rules, and it's gotten rid of a lot of the stupidity, you know, and whatnot. So we're not – but we're not investigating and busting programs for, for dumb crap, you know. And if anyone asks me, I would not – if I was a student athlete now, or if I if if some if the kids asking me about NIL stuff, you know that would probably be the the last time I talk to that kid. You know that kind of stuff's earned. You know you got to, you're gonna have to show up and earn that. We just can't give it to you. You know you know we. That's about all I got on that. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I know there's a few coaches that even uh, even at the top level that are a bit like that. I know Michigan's angle was was going towards that. If you get to Michigan and prove yourself, 
we'll give you the money or at least we'll, we'll help you with those. You know, um, it also got me kind of thinking about just sort of in the general NIL, obviously, Charlie P Baker, who's the head of the NCAA, they're trying to push that to get some sort of federal legislation, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if that's going to really go anywhere, only because while we hear various legislators in the Senate or in the, the House talking about it, the odds are pretty slim that anything would ever really pass in that area, despite you know the interest and popularity of bipartisan sports love that is out there. But all of that said, you know, I was reading about what they're up to now only because um, yesterday they were still Charlie Baker was kind of talking about what they're they're sort of what direction they're heading. It appears that, you know, they're hoping, I believe this is a long timeline because it's a big bureaucratic organization. But I think they want to try and now formulate a registration process for NIL service providers such as agents and collectives to create a standardized contract and disclosure requirements, but we'll see where that goes. You know, the other thing in just sort of a student athlete health issue is apparently the NCAA is going to also be offering their member institutions. So all NCAA schools, post eligibility injury insurance for athletes starting next season. Um, and like, so remember the seasons switch over in the summer. So in August of 2024, so that means uh, for two years after they finished being eligible, they will be ensuring that there are student athletes for injuries that took place during their playing days. So that was kind of an interesting one right there. You know, as we kind of go through, there's another topic I wanted to hit on. This is, it was funny. Somebody interviewed Brett Yormark on, uh, on a podcast and uh, he, they asked him like, well, what would you say to George Klyovkov? And he's like, I'm sorry that my gain is your loss. Which, I, when it's quoted like that, it sounds cold as hell. But I, I don't think he meant it quite that way. I think he meant it as, you know, like, I, I, unfortunately, that's just the nature of the beast. But the guy's from New York, you know? I mean, he was with the Nets for so long. He's got, he, as I said, you know, I, I will get it in the same interview. I believe he said, like, um, you know, some of the folks weren't necessarily uh, happy with how I did it. They thought maybe I was a little too aggressive. Um, but you know, ever his actual quote is it didn't happen at night. It wasn't a shock and awe moment. Everyone knew the big 12 had an appetite to expand. Maybe some people in the industry didn't like that. I was so intentional about it, but I'm very transparent. In fact, I telegraphed it. I just felt that it was the right way to do it versus the other things I've witnessed and observed in our industry over time where transparency wasn't the case. So I, I thought that wasn't a bad one because you think about USC and UCLA, like, Oh wait, they're suddenly in the big 10 now or, you know, the uh, the Texit, um, you know, of Texas and Oklahoma. This one really was just kind of like they're like, hey, we're planning to expand. And everyone's like, uh oh, the Big 12 is going to get in a knife fight with the Pac-12. Oh, we're going to expand. Oh, we're going to expand. We're going to try and get a better media deal. They jump the line and get a better media deal. And then, you know, boom, they just yanked everything out. So, yes, um, let's hear. I see we have someone else who wants to join us. Ronnie J. Oh, yeah, boy, Ron. Let's let you up right now. What's going on? Oh, let's see if we can get you. Yeah, boy, Ron, you're up. So, What's up? Oh, yeah, no there was like a little weird delay. That issue was happening where it was like, there was no noise. Okay. Like, you were just talking about that interview. And man, I don't think he's got, I don't think anyone's got to apologize for anything. You know, you know I, I work in tech. And one of the things my managers always say is you, in tech, you either adapt or you die. And I, that applies to everything. Uh, Pac-12 never adapted. So they di They died. And they have no one to blame but themselves for being there like, oh, well, we can't admit San Diego State until we know what we're working with. 
and just being stubborn on accepting a deal because I remember reading somewhere, I don't remember where it said that they had a similar, a deal that wasn't too far off the one that the pack, uh, not pack 12, the big 12 got. So man, honestly, I wouldn't apologize for anything. If I was him, I would have just doubled down in the entry. It's like, yeah, we did what we did and we did it because we want, we didn't want to die. We didn't want to turn into what the pack 12 is now. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the apparent deal was $30 million from the SBN last fall. And the presidents, uh, according to John Canzano, thought they could get 50 million. So they all said, you know, no way. And oh, how the turntables. Yeah. They were crazy for everything that they would get that much. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a history of poor management going back years now. Um, you know, going back to, you know, the Larry Scott hire obviously turned out to be wrong. But that happens. You don't always know you've got the wrong guy until it's obvious you've got the wrong guy. And in this case, it was obvious to everyone in the country, but there was, for some reason, some weird loyalty with some of the Pac-12 presidents, and, you know, they just absolutely refused to, to give him a pink slip, and the value of the conference kept declining to the point where, obviously, you know, the financial incentive for UCLA and USC to jump ship to the Big Ten was, I mean, the gap is getting so big if you want to compete at that level, you can't really afford not to go. Um, and they didn't have a clear path out of that. And, you know, for me, I just go back to when Larry Scott made the proposal of, you know, we're going to sell off part ownership of the PAC 12 network. And we're going to give each school a one-time payout of like $20 million. It's like, the one thing that you do have is, is you know, you have whole ownership of your of your conference network, which nobody else has. You did a terrible job of leveraging it, getting it out into actual homes, getting people to subscribe, things like that. But you still own it all. And you're willing to leverage, to, to give up that leverage that you have to an outside investor for a one-time payout. That's not going to make up for, you know, the years of of lagging revenue that you've generated for your conference members and that also is not going to fix the problem going forward either. You know, it's not like you're going to take $200 million from outside investors and suddenly have, you know, a streaming platform and everything um, that can compete with some of the other offerings, you know, like a digital footprint, things like that. Um, you're just going to take it and hand it off to the straight off to the, to the colleges. And that should have been the writing on the wall of, you know, this guy doesn't know what he's doing in my mind. But, you know, they stuck with him, stuck with him. It got worse and worse. USC, UCLA obviously get to the point where they're going to have to leave. Um, and then they had this deal that essentially wound up being the Big 12 deal that ESPN went to him and said, you know, we got one more year left in the contract. We can go and renegotiate it now. And they said, you know what? We're good. We think that there's better. Well, you know, it's, you know, it's like, funny because I remember. I mean, come on. I remember reading somewhere, wasn't wasn't USC and UCLA two of the schools that were like diehard against firing Larry Scott at the time? They so definitely they, were. They definitely were programs that seemed like they were fine with the way things were and had so they were they were willing they were okay with it until they until they just randomly until weren't. They weren't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it really was it seems like USC. It's in was USC and then UCLA just kind of I don't know if they just nudged them or if the Big Ten said bring them too. Um, and they, they, UCLA just happily signed a board because they needed that financial life raft. But, um, yeah, no, it, it was, they were definitely, it was a lot like the, 
coach or the coach being committed to the G5 program right up until the minute you see them at a press conference in a totally new logo. <laughs> yeah. You mean like sure. if uh, if a coach got up there and said that they'd have to carry him out in the pine box? I think we're getting to the point where I wonder if that one even hits the way it did. But I mean, yeah, so... I, I guess so. Well, you know, when you jump ship to multiple schools after that, then it kind of loses some Indeed. of the efficacy. Um, I want to say that was it was the Oregon State president maybe at the time also a big Larry Scott fan, like that for some reason that's been kind of like stuck in the back of my head that there was a rumor that. Um, I guess it was, yeah, Ed Edward Ray. I'm looking at I'm looking at an old Kinzano yeah. There were a lot of them. And article. Most of them, have, most of them have now departed. Yeah, their Ray, schools. It's just Crow Ray that's is basically the, left. Ray is the strongest supporter of Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott in the group, and this is from 2018. So that would have been the Oregon State president, um, which obviously now you know we've seen how that works out for for Oregon State. They're stuck there. Um, with with you know, not a good option moving forward in terms of where they can go. It has been so, interesting to see the reactions of some of these programs. I mean, Cal. There was a post on our CFB actually today that Cal's AD emailed the alumni, sort of, you know, hey, we're in kind of a a mess. But the line that really some went under the skin of some of those uh, Cal fans was the quote that this happened very quickly. Um, and the top comment was a Cal fan, uh, uh, J.U. Bears, just completely going off on this. You know, everyone knew it was possible that the USC and UCLA accepted Big Ten invitations, basically going on a rant about this is nothing about this is a surprise. How How is anybody at any university shocked that this could have happened? If uh, I think maybe you've touched on something there because, you know, with so many of these institutional leaders that were so. I don't know if it's it's momen- momentum or inertia just to stay the course that they were staying with this. this they, they should have, obviously, I think a lot of people feel they should have gotten rid of Larry Scott earlier. Um, but I'm going to give George Klyovkov still a half pass, only because he was handed a really messy hand. And to an extent, if all the university presidents say we're not going to take that $30 million deal that ESPN offered them last fall, He's going to say we're not taking the deal. He can't. He he's basically their figurehead in in that in that uh, in that spot. Um, even you know Kevin Warren, who did all that exceptional work at the Big Ten, he it seems like he got a little tired of it because he wanted to keep expanding the Big Ten, even after he added USC and UCLA, possibly with Oregon and Washington, which of course now are heading over. But he just was happy to go back to the NFL because I think he felt his work was done, and you know it just the. Dealing with all the presidents, it isn't quite the same um, focus you get with a specific institution like the Chicago Bears versus, you know, everyone in your division having to agree <laughs> to something. But yeah, it's well, it, it's, the whole... it, it's it's kind of a unique it. situation too, where you're working with, you know, institutions that are hundred plus years old, a conference that's uh, you know a hundred plus years old, um, institutions with endowments that are worth billions of dollars or at least hundreds of millions of dollars you know big ships turn slow and definitely i could see you know university presidents kind of you know if it's not broke don't fix it the checks are still cashing you know we're getting paid 20 30 million dollars because you know a bunch of our students go out there and play a game you know on the weekends 
And, you know, that's not really their focus. It's not their wheelhouse. Um, but it, it's just absolutely shocking that, that some of them didn't see the writing on the wall. And, I mean, heck, Ed Ray's an economist. Um, and he couldn't, you know, understand what was going on there. I mean, I know it's not international trade, but you would think, you know, one number being bigger than the other number is a pretty basic concept that would translate over, but I guess not. Um, so it's, it is interesting to, to see just kind of how removed they are from what to a lot of fans, it just seems pretty obvious. And, you know, you look at what happened with the big 12 and, you know, the steps that they immediately took to shore things up. And there's always that risk of coming across as too desperate, right? That you got raided, you lost some of your, your best teams, and finding the right tone for your reaction so that it doesn't seem like you're rushing. Because we've seen teams do this when a coach either retires or um, leaves for another job, you know, outside of the normal coaching carousel season. And they can react very, very poorly and make a decision that, you know, screws them over for the next three to five years if they get the wrong hire because they were in a hurry and they needed a warm body and they gave them way too much money and way too long of a contract. Um, there's numerous schools that that could apply to. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have to, to worry about your public perception of your institution, you know, your conference in this case, and make sure that you don't be perceived as weak as a target because I mean, realistically, if the Pac-12 had shored themselves up, if they replaced USC and UCLA with decent conference mates, um, you're not going to match them on a brand level, but at least something that's that's not too big of a drop-off. Um, you know, the SMUS uh, San Diego State option, like that would have been a, a solid move akin to the Big 12 bringing in the four that it brought in. And they didn't, and they just kind of sat there and twiddled their thumbs you know, and Klyevkov was working on these deals, but part of his job is selling those presidents on it. And, you know, Stuart Mandel said it um, when, when we had him on the show. It, the presentation just kind of felt like Larry Scott 2.0 of, you know, coming in with the Apple offer. And it's like, here's the slide deck. This is the Pac-12 network all over again. This is the same thing that we told you, you know, 10 or 15 years ago that never materialized. And it flopped. And then the next thing you know, it's all coming apart at the seams. Yeah, and I am I, I completely agree with that. You know, one of the things that the result of this Pac-12 implosion has brought up also in some of the news, Russ Dellinger, who's now obviously Yahoo Sports, he wrote a, an article about what's going to happen now to the playoff because they were going to be kind of hashing out the 12-team playoff at the end of this month to plan, not obviously for this season, but the following seasons. And... Now it seems like, and there's definitely been hints that there's going to be some heavy discussion there because the SEC uh, has has mentioned that they're not entirely thrilled with the way the layout's going to be because originally it was going to be six plus six. The six um, six highest ranked automatic qualifiers, which was implied to be the P5 plus a G5. Now we're missing one of the P5 starting next season. So how are we going to divide that up? Is there going to be, and, and you know, there's also more practical matters like the revenue distribution model because the the thought was if we're giving each conference uh, an equal share or at least the P5 a share and the G5 a, a share, 
it still wouldn't be even if the teams, you know, in this case, suddenly the Big Ten is going to have two more schools in the SEC and Big 12, and which in turn are going to have two more schools in the ACC. Like, how do we distribute that? Would it be better to kind of do it a by team basis? I think that'll probably be what they could do. I could see that. And then perhaps um, the how to do that, that 12 team format. I mean, some have suggested that they now do a five plus seven where basically the number of teams remains 12 in the playoff, but the automatic qualifiers drops from the six uh, top conference champions to five. So implying that would be, you know, the obviously the SEC and Big Ten plus ACC and Big 12. Um, and, you know, perhaps the uh, American or whoever AQ, I should say, uh, whichever team from the G5 manages to climb up, and then seven at-large teams, which would obviously probably benefit the uh, the SEC and Big Ten in the long run. So that would be one model, and I think that one may be one that would be more amenable, but it sounds like there might be a fight to try and do the so-called best 12, where instead of going with any conference champions, you're literally doing the top 12 teams that are seeded into a playoff. While that sounds great on paper, that would really that would just stir up the horn that potentially would just stir up the hornet's nest of the G five um, or G six or whatever we're going to end up with at the end of all of this. So that's one of those things that I mean the ramifications of all of, the, all of this. I guess we'll start to get more exciting by the end of this month when we'll start to see how it actually starts to pan out because that's when I believe one of the major discussions. I believe it's August thirtieth is when they're scheduled to have um, this conversation as they start planning this so that's going to be one of those those upcoming stories as we head towards the season before we even get a chance to really truly enjoy football though football will have sounded started by then um a couple of other interesting notes i just wanted to mention as we slowly wrap this up fresno state announced and I, i'm getting a kick out of this fresno state's home opener it's an fcs program they're going to be eastern washington a good one but it's going to be televised on only one linear channel, and it's only going to be a linear uh, on Spanish language television on uh, Unimas. I assume that's how uh, how it's pronounced in Spanish. So it's going to be on there. So it'll be the first ever college football game where the linear broadcaster is actually going to be Spanish language television. It'll still be available online on the Mountain West, um, their digital network. But I thought that was kind of just one of those interesting ones I wanted to toss out there as we're kind of wrapping up. Um Oh, and the Big 12 commissioner, obviously, Brent Yormark, has said the conference is not looking to expand after it made its Pac-12 editions. The running joke, especially on our CFB, is, you know, not yet, which, you know, as uh, I'm going to I love using the usernames, llamas are fun, has a top comment in this. But, you know, we're going to wait for those juicy ACC teams to see if the ACC eventually breaks apart. Speaking of that. And this is one of those tweets I actually enjoyed. Um, uh, let's see here, because Nicole Auerbach's been on top of this. The um, Florida State would have had an opportunity to announce it was leaving for the twenty four uh, for the twenty twenty four season, but it would have had to have made an announcement um, on Monday because today was the deadline for them if they were going to leave the conference. And as of yesterday, they didn't make the twenty four hour announcement that their board of regents or board of trustees, pardon me where it would have been required to take in. So for now, as she said, the Seminoles will remain in the ACC through at least the 2024-2025 season. So we've staved off that implosion for now. Um, and let's see here. 
Oh, and then Nebraska, one other one I wanted to mention. Nebraska's athletic director, Trev Alberts, which to me is still, I, I have nothing against Trev Alberts, um, but I just, I still remember him when he, when I started really getting into college football 20 years ago. He was one of those ESPN talking heads late at night with Reese, uh, Reese Davis is who he was paired with. But um, he said the next round of conference realignment will be far more disruptive. So some people were trying to read into the tea leaves on that. I think this goes back to exactly what we were talking about earlier in the show. It seems to be that if there is a next step to all of this, if the ACC breaks apart and the Big Ten and SEC get even fatter with, you know, these choice programs, these choice teams that might be financially attractive, especially for TV broadcasters, um, then we might see that reason to break football, at least the top, top football teams in maybe the SEC and Big Ten into an entirely new entity that is separate from the NCAA. Again, to reiterate what we were talking about much earlier, that might stave off the potential issue of turning all athletes at all sports at all levels into um, declared employees, uh, which seems to be very teetering on that edge when we talk about FBS football and, and perhaps some of the top basketball programs. But that seems to be, again, a lot of the dialogue over that. There was an amusing article, again, in The Athletic, where Stuart Mandel rehashed an earlier discussion he had had over the idea of a college football premier league and 28 teams going into that. And y'all can look that up or whatever. It's all the usual suspects, you know, plus a few that are more current. One thing though, he brought up that I, I really, I think is going to be the future thinking when we're talking about realignment is the idea of TV markets is actually slowly receding only because people are now becoming more direct consumers. We talked about this in previous weeks, talking about the uh, how unpopular the Apple deal was with the Pac-12, but it was kind of a weird, there was, there was a flip side to that. While the Apple deal was not attractive at this point in time to the Pac-12, and part of that is that luggage that they brought in of being sold on the Pac-12 network, which was a complete disaster. Um, so they were a little bit hesitant to try any kind of risky maneuver in again versus a traditional linear deal. It does, by all means, seem that that is going to be the future. Now, whether that's in 2030, whether that's in 2035, that seems to be the timeline we start to see, especially with some of these articles by those more familiar with when negotiations happen. By 2030, 2035, in that range, are we going to see a point where cable cutting, the reducing cable fees are going to not allow ESPN, Fox, CBS, NBC to make these kinds of deals that um, are currently funding the model that we're seeing now. And at that point, will we see Apple TV? Will we see others in the streaming business step up? I mean, there's a lot of these kind of questions out there. Just uh, put those thoughts in your head. But as we move forward, especially in the next five to 10 years, it's going to be very curious to see if we see this kind of a split happen because it seems more and more inevitable when you look at the amount of dollars on display and when you look at the way these conferences are kind of self-separating with themselves um, and dragging every other sport with them, which has been written about and complained about ad nausea. But I'm going to slowly start wrapping this up. I just wanted to put those final thoughts in your head. This was RCFB Talk 153. My name's Bob Akairi. I was joined by my regular co-host, Sirius. It was great to have all of you here. It was great to hear so many of our regulars, like John, uh, yeah, boy, Ron, Thack, many others. For all of you who listened, I just want to say thank you. This is RCFB Talk 153. Thank you all for listening. Now I'm hang up and listen.